0: Amen, that's right. For those of you hooked on being here last week, we're going to continue our study. That's right, the book of James, how to spot a phony Christian. Wait a second. Is that really what James is all about? Mhm. We've been seeing that the last couple of times. If you guys have been tracking with this, that that's uh, uh really what's going on in this whole book. It's an acid test for fake Christians. Okay. And it isn't just James. We saw it's 1st John in great detail. James was the first book written Uh, chronologically in the New Testament, 1 John was one of the last ones. So from beginning to end, all the way in between, we saw too, the Bible tells us this is an unfortunate reality. There really is going to be fakers in the midst of the church. And the good news is God doesn't just tell us how to spot them. He tells us how to spot them so we can deal with it, so we can keep the church pure, frankly, of these kind of folks. Uh, You tell me if this sounds familiar in American church today. Watch this. This is nuts. My husband and I are taking our first real vacation in six years, and I am so excited. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the students, but sometimes you just need a break, you know? So, um, I'm really excited because Ignatius is going to cover my Wednesday nights for me. Ignatius is like the
1: biggest name in student ministry. He's worked with the biggest speakers, biggest worship leaders.
0: He's spoken to like a million kids. He's like the Michael Phelps of student ministry. I'm kind of old fashioned and I don't know much about him,
1: but uh, he knows Becky and he loves Jesus, and that's enough for me. So people ask me, Ignatius, what does it take to be a great youth pastor? Well, my answer is always the same Xbox 360, a copy of Rock Band, book deal, and uh, there's something else. Um, yes, a moderately priced haircut. I get mine cut at Tony and Guy, uh, 70 bucks plus highlights. Our ministry is called Flame and it's based on some verse in the Bible about fire. You know, we want to see our kids on fire for God. I mean, in the middle of this godless culture, we want to drive a stake in the heart of it. I mean, we want our kids burning at the stake. I take my preparation very seriously. I'll spend two or three hours doing something that's called prayer lattes. Prayer lattes is one Well, I get on an exercise ball, I'll have a latte, non-fat. It's like God's my trainer, and he's stretching my spiritual muscles as well as my physical muscles. Wow, who are my influences? Bono, of course. C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia films. They were great. First two are killer. I hope he writes another one.
0: Hi, I'm Kelly. Nice to meet you. Uh, this is Carl. He's on our volunteer staff. Hi. Becky. told us so much about you.
1: Oh, all good, I hope. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your group. Well, we had a lock-in last weekend and six of our kids made a professional faith. But yeah, we, we had 60. Uh, we're probably going to meet about 20 minutes before the service starts so that we can pray. 20 minutes? You think it'll take that long? <laughs>
0: and you probably want to spend some time with students.
1: Why would I want to do that? Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Alright! Hey, who's your
0: daddy? Huh, who's your daddy?
1: Did I hear someone say, Ignatius? Alright, my name is Ignatius, and tonight we're going to talk about the God of the universe and how He loves each and every one of you with an unquenchable fire. But before we do that, did anybody bring their Bibles tonight? Alright, get them out. Let's get those Bibles out. Put them up over your head. That's it. Alright, now repeat after me. Say, God's Word word is is living and active. It is powerful. It is is more more than I can deal with with at this stage stage of my life. life. Good. Put them under your seat. You're not going to need them tonight. I mean, to think that there are kids that don't even know about the flame website is... Wow. But, um, yeah, I want to see them fired up, you know, and engulfed in flames. They are going to be smoldering. I'm going to burn them.
0: Burn them straight into hell with your false gospel and false teachings because you're a false Christian. That's actually a parody for those of you guys wondering. But it's based on what? How many churches do you know? That's it. And that's touted as the real deal when it's not. And not just youth pastors. Can I tell you something? Pastors. Got to have the right look, the right spiky hair. Obviously, as you can tell, I don't get mine cut at Tony and Guy. This is not a $20 haircut. Stop laughing. That's not funny. But anyway, that's right. But, anyway, this is what, but what's happened is this is going on, and now these people, notice it's not in the pew. You're in leadership. These are the people now that are running the church, and you wonder why the apostasy is in such high gear. It's because we're not being Marines anymore. We're not holding the biblical standard, okay? And we certainly aren't taking the Bible serious, not just in the book of James, but all over the place, how to spot these phony Christians and deal with it to keep the church being pure, okay? So let's continue that journey. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter one verses one through four. Woo-hoo. Smoke's coming off my Bible, man. We're cruising now. That's a couple of verses in one shot, right? James chapter one verse one through four. As so we grab the context, of course, last time we were here, we were dealing with verse one. But let's pick it up there at verse one and continue on this time. James chapter one verse one through four. Here's what the word of God says to you and I. James, a what? A servant of God. Remember, this is the half brother of Jesus. This shows us that he was a godly man. He was a humble man. He didn't say, "Hey, I'm, I'm Jesus' brother." You better listen. He's just a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that how we introduce ourselves? Is that our mindset and our heart when we go about our daily business? That's what we dealt with last time. He said, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, not the Jewish people, the early church. This is prior to Paul and Barnabas going out and their ministry tour that, if you will, the Gentiles, non-Jewish, begin to get saved. So, of course, the early church, all of them, including James, were Jewish descent the early Christian, the early church. So he's writing to the early church. They finally get out in the world. He says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, verse two, consider it what? Not just joy, but what? Pure joy, my brothers, when everything goes your way. Because that's what these guys with spiky hair say. If you do the right thing, right? And you sow a seed to my ministry and you get a Cadillac and all that stuff. And if you learn to be a better you, you'll have high self-esteem. What's James say? No, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you what? Face trials of what? Many kinds. Remember, this is early church. They're finally going out there into the world. And if you know church history for the next 300 years, what was going on? Major mega persecution. We weren't driving Cadillacs. Because you know, he says, this is why. Because you know that the testing, there's a word there. It's a test. Here's your acid test. The testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may be seated if you can there. But basically what we've been seeing is, again, the book of James was an acid test written to the early church that had finally been dispersed. They've been hanging out in Jerusalem this whole time. God stirred up the book of Acts, persecution to finally get him out there to do what he said to do. You're going to be my witnesses where? Not just in Jerusalem like they were stuck at, but to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So God finally gets him out there. And shortly after that, here comes the very first book chronologically from James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church finally out there to be a witness to the world. And he begins to dispel... This problem. The problem is Satan's got an evil plan, right? He couldn't stop Jesus from going to the cross. He couldn't stop Jesus from rising again from the grave. He couldn't stop the church from being born. And he can't take away our salvation once we become born again. So what's he do? He knows he's lost, right? He knows he's headed to the lake of fire. He's on death row awaiting the final sentence. That's what's going on. But he's so stinking evil, he's now trying to mess up the church. He's trying to pollute the church with all these fakers so that they'll get a false impression of Christianity and a false gospel so that even if a non-Christian comes in their midst, they'll never be led the one way out of this mess and they'll join Satan in the lake of fire. So again, it's not by chance. Here's the first chronological book in the New Testament, James, and he says, watch this. I'm gonna give you acid tests so that you will know in your midst if you got some of these fakers that Satan's trying to plant and mess up the church. Okay, in fact, I love this. This pastor I'm about to share with you, he did the very first thing at his very first church, his very first pastor, he preached an acid test. And he tells us why. He said this, the very first thing I preached was Matthew seven twenty one 21 through 23. Uh, Let's take a look at that real quick. He says this, right? He says, uh, Matthew seven twenty one through 23, not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And Jesus speaking, what? Then I will tell them plainly, I what? I never knew you. Not, I knew you once and you lost your salvation because you can't. You're fakers the whole time. I never knew you. Away from me, you what? You evildoers. And he says this he says, I remember preaching that because it took him a couple of weeks to go through that text there. And he says, uh, I did it because I quote, don't want anyone to be in this church and think they're a Christian when they're not. And he said, I remember going through that first sermon there. And over the next several weeks, listen, Two of the leaders of that church, prominent in church leadership, confessed the reality of non saving faith. They knew they weren't Christians, and instead of coming to true faith, they left the church. Leadership. You yeah, go, well, come on. That's just no, folks, 25 plus years now being a pastor, I could tell you stories. I'm just going to give you two. I've dealt with this so many times, it's not even funny. Not just people in the pew faking it, but people in church leadership. You go into a pastor and you inherit the good, bad, and ugly. Right? Unless you're a church plant, and you get started start off right. But typically you go and in you inherit stuff. And it's not all good. And each church is different. I'll give you a story of one of a deacon, one of an elder. They're fakers. I'm convinced, based on the scripture. One was a deacon that I went to, and I, I had my questions from the outset because I'm not seeing anything Christ-like coming out of this person at all. In fact, uh before they left, because they got confronted with their behavior, before they left. They actually said with literally venomous hatred, I hate your guts. Well, whatever, I people don't, I'm not, this is not a popularity contest, but my problem with that is what we see last week with 1 John. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. You can't do that as a Christian. I mean, you can be, we can have at odds, what, but you, I mean, literally dripping hatred. Ugh. And then eventually their behavior got, and I could just be here with the whole litmus of things. I'm going like, you've got to be kidding me. What are you, and you're a Christian, you're a you know, what? And finally, their behavior got confronted, and unfortunately, just like this guy was saying, they left. Later, what's wild was somebody after that began to attend this church I was pastoring and uh, got to know them over about a year, and then we just happened to be on the topic of previous leadership and making it through that period, and and this person's name came up and they said, who'd you say? And I said, so-and-so. Used to be a deacon here. And they go, are you what? A deacon? And you know what they said? I worked with that person for seven years. I had not one inkling that they were a Christian. They never talked about Jesus. They never witnessed. They were inviting me to church service. I had no idea. And they didn't just come here. They were a deacon. This happens all the time, folks. I'll give you another one. This is the case of an elder, right? My first clue that something was going on wrong, because typically I like to know the people I work with. So typically I want to tell me, how did you get saved? What's your testimony? This guy couldn't give me one. It was all that general, well, you know, I just needed to change and felt going to church and i love god that's not a testimony and so i knew something was up and then it didn't take long i'm into that pastorate and i started getting phone calls from the community telling me about this elder in the church that i was pastoring saying this guy's out here and they're rotten horrid horrid behavior so bad the community can't take it and they're calling me and they even knew this was a bad one so they say i know you're kind of new but uh uh, really, this probably isn't a good witness for your church. Duh. So what do we have to do? What the Bible says, you confront it. You don't let this go on. And so the scripture, so we confronted the guy, right? And the scripture says, in the case of an elder, you publicly rebuke them. So that's what we did. But instead of turning to the Lord and getting right, they left. This goes on and on, folks. You maintain the standard and your church will stay Pure. If all you're worried about is popularity and numbers, you're going to end up a spiky hair guy. And you wonder why the church is in apostasy today? Because they're not holding the biblical standard. But the guy continues on. He says this. He says that. He says, so I'm preaching on, you know, the acid test in Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, did we not, you know? And he says, after that first sermon was over, the two leaders of the church, prominent church leadership, they confessed the, non-reality of, of saving, the reality of non-saving faith. They knew they weren't Christians, and instead of coming to true faith, they left. Listen, then some non-Christians in the choir left, but then some acknowledged they weren't Christians, but they did come to faith. And he says, I simply tell you this to say this. Look, when James takes his first shot at the scattered flock, they're finally getting out there into the world to be my witnesses, Jesus said. He said he's concerned about the genuineness of the faith. And so he gives them tests to measure it. And he says this, and dare I say, any church needs to do this. Amen? I wonder why we're doing it. Okay, in fact, I've often wondered this. How much time is spent? Time, energy, resources, programs, thoughts, meetings, all this stuff. And really, in essence, we are trying to get non-Christians to act like Christians. Because the reality is, I shouldn't have to pull your teeth to serve Jesus Christ. If you love him, you want to serve him. How much time is spent, money and resources trying to get goats to act like sheep? When what you need to do is preach the word of God so that if are not saved, hopefully they don't run like those other guys, the fakers. Hopefully they say, wow, I didn't know I was a faker. I want to get saved, right? And so let's take a look at that first acid test. James begins to tell us this. And again, the context, the church finally gets out there to be my witnesses. The last thing you want is a bad witness. And so here's your first test, right? How do you do in your trials, right? How do you do your trials? And not just how do you do, do you have a smile on your face with the trials, right? But let's take a look at that. Consider pure joy, James says, verse two there, okay, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And again, notice it isn't just, you know, uh, hang on there and make it through your trials because lost people can do that. Lost people go through trials. We go through trials. It's a common denominator, but he says, no, 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 for the true born again Christian, something's going to be different. This is something that the lost doesn't have. You have pure joy in your trials. So it isn't just, do you make it through your trials? He says, do you have joy in the midst of your trials? And you're like, well, why would he do that? Well, number one, what's the word Christian mean? Christian, Christian, follower of Christ. If we're a Christian, then we follow the same path of Christ, right? And that's what Jesus did. The Bible says he endured the cross for the what? The joy of Set before him, right? That's what the Bible says, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And let us run with what? Perseverance. We're going to see that again in James here shortly. And the race marked out for us, let us fix our eyes on who? Who's the example? Who do we follow? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Joy set before him, endured what? The cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary. And lose heart. In other words, you're not gonna lose your joy. Now notice what Jesus did not do, right? He said he, he did not blame God for the cross. He didn't blame other people for the cross. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't threaten people. He didn't say, Vengeance is mine, saith the lawyer. I'm gonna get you. You just wait your turn. He endured it for the joy set before him. Well, what joy is that? Number one, he said, My meat, my sustenance is to do the Father's will. And that was the Father's will. But it was also the joy of knowing what? When he did the Father's will, going to the cross, what's going to happen? The joy set before him was that you and I were going to be saved. That he was going to provide salvation for any and all who would come to him and join him as his bride forever and eternity. He endured the cross for that joy, knowing, listen, that God was going to do something powerful with it. Something amazing. He didn't say it was easy. He said, I know something good's going to come as a result. And that's what he's talking about. That's what James is saying. A true follower of Christ, you're going to have this joy in the midst of your trials, which means flipping around. That means when you go through trials as a true born again Christian, you're not going to blame God for your trials. You're not going to blame other people for your trials. And you're certainly not going to get mad at God. I can tell you stories of people professing to know Christ and I'm mad at God and I mean mad. And I'm literally sitting there going like, you stay over there while the lightning bolt gets you. I don't even want to talk to you right now. But they'll come to me and say, are you serious? The scripture says, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shut your mouth. One of the most abused texts, we've talked about this before in other studies, in in Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. (laughs) Don't you feel at peace? (laughs) You know what it literally says there in Hebrew? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth and know that I'm God. The whole context of that passage is the sovereign work of God. Trust him. How dare you question what he's doing? Shut your mouth. Know that he is God. And you're gonna sit and that say, gotta... That's the opposite of joy, by the way. Which we'll see where it comes from. It's the fruit of the spirit of those who are truly born again. It's a... in fact, I've talked to these people and let them talk. And the irony is, they're not just, quote, mad at God, which is the opposite of joy, which is, hello, red flag. But then you talk about, well, why are you in this predicament? Why are you? In this? It's their own doing. God didn't make you do that. That was your own choice. And then you're going to blame that on God. Who do you think, where that's coming from? Who do you think wants to join, shake a fist at God? <laughs> that ain't the spirit of God. That's Satan. Was well, as a true born-again Christian, here's your acid test. You ain't just making it through your trials. You're making it through joy. You're not going to blame God for your trial. You're not going to blame others. You're not going to get mad at God. You're not going to threaten them. You're going to say, I'm going to call them. I'm going to get... I, eye for an eye, tooth for two. No, you're going to endure it for the joy of knowing that there's something good that's going to come as a result of this. Just like Jesus, as a follower of Christ, he knew something good was coming as a result of this cross. Didn't say it was easy, but something fantastic is going to come. as, And I can, I can endure it. Now, it, Joy. In fact, it's the same thing. It's another acid test. You look at the parable of the sower. I'm convinced that's another acid test. Again, these are all of the scripture. And yet, how many people never even talk about them? Right? You wonder why things are messed up. This is Matthew 13, 18 through 23, Jesus speaking, of course. He said, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Well, that the seed that's sown on the path. So he was a faker, right? The one who received the seed that fell in the rocky places is the man who hears the word, and at once he what? Receives it with what? What's the word there? Joy. But does it stay? No. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When what? Just like James is talking about trials. When troubles or persecution comes because of the word, he what? He quickly falls away. Why? Because he lost his salvation. No. What was the caveat? First John. They went out from us because they didn't belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going, falling away, showed that none of them belonged to us. So he's a faker. Well, the one that received the seed that fell among the thorns, he's the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. He loved this world more than the Father. What's what's again John say? Do not love this world nor the things of this world, otherwise the love of the Father is not in you. Right? And here was the one that passed the test. But the one who what? Received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, and then what? Proof's in the pudding. He produces a crop, and he yields a 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. In other words, that guy was real. God's word stayed in that guy's heart. He maintained the joy in the trials, right? In persecution, nothing could pull him away, and he began to bear fruit of the Spirit of God. He passed the test. He's the real one. Now, here's the point. When you're out there in the world, can I tell you something? I don't think it's by chance that James is throwing this out as the first acid test. Again, what's the context? The church finally gets out there to be my witnesses... The Lord said, so they're out there to be a witness. And yet here comes Satan. He's lost and he wants to mess up the witness of the church. And so James says, watch this. I'm going to throw out this first one is not just, can you make it through a trial? Because lost people can make it through a trial. What's the caveat? Can you make it through with joy? See, because the world can't do that. But here's the reason why, because I'm telling you folks, I'm convinced that's what the world is waiting for us to see. It's Christianity on display. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. How about us? When we go through trials, is there joy in the midst of that trial? I'm telling you, that's one of the most profound witnesses because the lost can't do that. They can make it through a trial, but they can't do it with joy. And when you and I do that, like a moth to a flame. Hey, uh, are are you on drugs? Can you give me a prescription for that? Oh, it ain't a drug. If anything, it's called the gospel. (laughs) You receive Christ, your Savior. He'll give you that ability. I'm telling you, it's a powerful witness. Unfortunately, a lot of people professing to know Christ, they don't have that witness. There is no joy. In fact, one guy, he says this. He talks about these people professing to know Christ. Maybe they do, I don't know. But maybe they're fakers. And that's why they don't see the joy. He said that when I travel to give my concerts, he says, I get a a, a view of the modern-day American Christian so-called church that most people never see because I played in virtually every denomination church you can think of, and as a result, I have discovered, hands down, what the world hates most about Christianity, Christians, or professing Christians. He said, it'd be okay if they hate us for the right reasons, you know, our love, our joy, our good deeds, but the problem is they hate us for our hypocrisy. We don't like to admit that the world is tired of hearing us say, praise the Lord, they're tired of seeing bumper stickers without seeing something Christ-like going on inside the car. They're tired of our t-shirt philosophy, our rings, our necklaces, our phoniness. Or they're hungry and thirsty for the truth. They want to see Christians being Christians or else to them we're just another trip. And so, so-called Christian, are you excited about Jesus? Can people see the joy of the Lord in your face? He says, listen, I've noticed too few Christians radiate the presence of the Lord in their life. It looks like they've been baptized in vinegar. Is they seem to have this image of Christianity that requires them to walk around with this grim gray look on their face as if they were saying, well, praise God, it's such a burden to be a Christian. Really? I've said it before, I'll say it again. If all there was to salvation was, I've been rescued from eternal damnation to hell, you've got to pay somebody to slap that smile off my face. But there's so much more in there. I, we said before, you know, it's that, it's that song. You know, talk about hip, They're sick of the hypocrisy. They come to church services, and, and sure enough, here comes that song. Everybody stands up because that's what you're supposed to do. And then you look around, you look at these people, and here's how you sing it I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. What's the next line, Chris? Where? Because it ain't in you. Oh, really? You're not excited about you? what? And he says, This, what kind of testimony is that? If you're happy, and you should be, if you're a child of God, hello then you better show it on your face. That's what the world's looking for, he says, to see that in the life of the Christian, joy. The world is sick and tired of these Christian hypocrites. And he says, listen, if it weren't for the Christian religion, I would have become a Christian two years earlier than I did. As a result, I didn't become a Christian through going to a church service. I couldn't become a Christian because I wouldn't be caught dead in these hypocritical churches. All the churches were full of them. I said, I wanted to know if these supposed ambassadors for Jesus really could show me Jesus by the way they live. I never found one. He said, rest assured, there's a lot of searches out there just like I was. Now, they may not tell you they're looking for God, but they are. And when they look at your life, do they see him? He said, if you're a pew warmer, I'm not telling you you're doomed. I'm telling you you're dooming others. If you're not, I'm not telling you you're hell bound. I'm telling you you're sleeping while others are sinking down in a fiery eternity. He said, guys, we are in a mess. The world is sick of it. God is sick of it. And it's enough to make us vomit. That's what a joyless so-called Christian witness does. Again, it's not by chance. It's the first New Testament book going out. The church is finally going out there to what? You're going out there to live a better year. Your best life now. No, to be my witnesses. But Satan's trying to mess it up by polluting us with a bunch of fakers and phonies to give a bad witness, false gospel, false teaching. And so right out of the gates, here comes James, and right out of the gates, the first test was, how are you doing in your trials? And God begins to expose who's real and who's not for the benefit of the church, right? And you are saying, well, man, I don't know how to do that. Well, guess what? The good news is you can if you're a born-again Christian because it's not you trying to emulate the joy of the Lord. It's a fruit of the spirit of God, which you receive at the point of salvation. Therefore, the potential is there. That's the acid test. One, we can do it because Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him and we're followers of Christ. Number two, God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. That is a fruit of the spirit. I didn't say that. Paul did, right? Galatians chapter 5, 18 through 25. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the acts of the sinful nature, it's obvious. How do you know when somebody's not following the spirit of God? Well, it's pretty clear. Here's what's going to come out of their life. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Like that guy. I hate your guts. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, Paul says, those who live like this as a pattern of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're fake. Now, can Christians, unfortunately, sin and get involved in some of those sins? Yeah but who live like this. This is your pattern of life. Red flag, red flag. But he says this, but if you're truly born again, which you receive the spirit at salvation, what's going to eventually start coming out? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. What's the second one? Joy. God will give you that supernatural ability to have joy in the midst of your trial. Why? Wow. Because if you're born again Christian, you're in with the spirit of God, which means it's going to come out. So you don't say, I don't know if I can do it. You can't but the Spirit of God can if you're saved. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So basically, you got no joy ever, let alone in your trials. Maybe it's because you got no Spirit of God in you, giving you that ability. And if you ain't got the Spirit of God, you're not saved. I didn't say that, Paul did. Very clear, folks. At the moment of salvation, we're in with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that he is, in the Greek, arbon, it means engagement ring. He's God's engagement ring guaranteeing that we're there. But he's not there just as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that we're saved and we're going to get to heaven. Anybody glad about that? Amen. Regardless of our behavior because it's all been accomplished by Christ on the cross. Yeah, amen. And then, guess what? He begins to convict you when you do something wrong, right? And Paul says, listen, Romans 8 9, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. What's the condition? If, If the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? Belong to Christ, right? Because when you belong to Christ, at the moment of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. That's why Paul says also in Galatians chapter five, he says, this is why you got the sinful nature that we still have to deal with. We can make mistakes, right? Christian, we don't always, unfortunately, obey God. But we need to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit, which is a military term. When he says, go, I go, and you stay in cadence is what he's talking about. So we yield to the Spirit. He begins to bear that fruit. But the point is, there's a conflict. That's why he says in Galatians 5, that's why a good sign that you're a born-again Christian is when you have a different attitude towards sin. There's a a conflict. That's why he says they're at war with each other. This is why you don't do what you want to do. And I say, oh, but is there a conflict? How many people do you know who profess Christ? I don't know their heart, but, man, this is dangerous. They profess to know Christ, but there is no conflict. There is no war with sin. They can give a rip about it, but somehow they're a Christian because they just said they were. No, there should be a conflict. And the fact that sin bugs you now when it didn't used to before, pretty good sign. But not only that, joy in the midst of your trial. No spirit, you don't belong to Christ. No joy, which comes from the spirit, I don't know. But again, I don't think it's by chance. The first acid test isn't just making through trials because the world can do that. You're to be my witnesses. It's to make it through trials with joy, which you can do. It's a supernatural work of the spirit if you're born again. Why would that be the first one? Because you're again, what's the context? To be my witness. I'm telling you, I am convinced the world is waiting to see this from us. Supernatural joy in the midst of our pain. And when they don't see that, it's a horrid witness, folks. Let's take a look at these people. They admitted it. The German atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, said scornfully about Christians in his day, I'd believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. Right? Look at a lot of these guys, uh, people that profess to know Christ, it looks like their diet is, they'd only been baptized in vinegar, but their diet consists of sour lemons, pickles, and prunes. <laughs> really? Phyllis Brooks, I love what he said. He says, the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't cure the world. You wonder why nobody wants to cure. You're walking around acting like your life is sick because you're a Christian. It's just, oh, just a burden to be, what? Where's the joy? Billy Sunday, I love this. He said, to see some Christians, you'd think an essential to being one is to have a face so long, you could eat oatmeal out the end of a gas pipe. I still to this day don't really know what he's talking about, but it's funny and it's true. Listen to this. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if so many Christians didn't look and act like they were undertakers. We come to a worship service, not a funeral service.
1: (laughs) Man,
0: I'm a rough week. I don't care. Uh, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad that uh, my salvation is not based on my work, but on the work of Christ. It's guaranteed, as the scripture says, it's an inheritance that's kept in heaven for me. Yeah. Where's your joy? Gandhi said, uh, supposedly to uh, missionary East Stanley Jones, he said uh, to him, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ, why is it you appear to adamantly reject becoming his follower? To which Gandhi supposedly replied, Oh, I I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are unlike your Christ. And this one I got from a thread online. This high school girl, she wrote a letter to her so-called Christian friend who invited her to a Sunday service. By the way, the so-called Christian friend didn't even show up that Sunday. And here's what the letter she wrote back to her. I attended your church service today. Of course, she wasn't there. She was all alone because she didn't show up, the other girl. And during the singing of the hymns, I I, I was surprised to note that some of the church people, they weren't even singing. (laughs) I mean, between their sighs and yawns, they just stared into space. She said, and this is a non-Christian. She said, the pastor's sermon, man, was very interesting, although some members didn't seem to think so. They just looked bored and restless. I said good morning to one couple, but their response was less than cordial. Uh, uh, my, my parents don't go to church services, and, and I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship God, but I'm sorry. I didn't find it in your church, and I won't be back. Because you profess to know Christ. He may not even be going through a trial, but the look on your face is going, oh, such a burden be a Christian. Can I have some more vinegar? I got the joy, joy, joy. And then you turn to them hey, would you like to receive Christ your Savior? It's a horrid witness. But I can't just do that. That's just not my, it's not a personality issue. It's a fruit of the spirit issue. And if you're born again, it's going to come out. In fact, the, the Greek puts the pressure on. Right? This is cool. All right? Let's take a look at that. Here's what the English says greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, but here's what the Greek says: what be what constantly rejoicing, what consider it a matter of what unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow, huh whenever you build up that self-esteem, learn to be a better you by the Joel Olsting cube, remember that goofball thing? positive sayings, affirmations. <clears throat> No, he says, whenever what? Without any mixture of sorrow, whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you, welcome to the world. This is not heaven, heaven comes later. Wow, constantly rejoicing. How in the world do I do that? Well, one again, number one, it's following in the footsteps of Christ. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Two, you can't do it on your own. But if you're born again Christian and do with the spirit of God, what's he do? He gives you that, it's a supernatural ability. It's not natural. It's not natural when you're going through trials going, yeah, oh but God will give you the ability. And I'll put it in the context here in a second. It's not being willy-nilly about it. But he says there, he gives us a third reason, because you have a deep-seated knowledge like Jesus. How did he endure the cross? He knew doing the Father's will, something good was going to come as a result. And that's what James is saying here. We know this. We have a deep-seated knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosko, and it doesn't mean just head knowledge. It literally means this, experiential knowledge, meaning you know, how would you want to? We could, we could calculate this and reframe it in another phrase. Hindsight twenty twenty. How many times do we do that? Right? It's usually after our trials that we say, Oh, now I see what God was doing. <laughs> I should have reacted differently. No, we know, experientially, in the midst of our trial that's surrounding us, we do what David did. We base it on God's track record. Certainly, Jesus. Right, he knew the Father's will. Name one command from God that's bad for us. None. Even going to the cross. Yes. In fact, I could see the good that's coming. I, that, he endured it with the joy. What about what about our cross? What about our trials? The same thing. I know experientially. I don't wait till after the trial's over then rejoice. That's not when you need it. You need it in the midst of it, and not just for you, but to be a powerful witness to the lost. What did David do? He faced Goliath. That was his biggest trial to date especially if it's a dry year when they plucked you like me, right? This is a huge dude, right? So he you go, Aah! no, what do you do? Experientially, he went and saw, God, you took care of this trial, this lion. You took care of this trial, this bear. Uh, what's he gonna do with this one? Do you see what he did? David knew experientially. It didn't matter the size of the problem. It didn't matter the shape of the problem. It didn't matter how big it was or the smallest one, whatever it was. I know I know it experientially. He's brought me through this. He's gonna do it to this one. Do you think that right now, up to your life, okay, God brought you through all the how many guys are still alive? Raise your hand. Praise God for most of you. The rest of you scare me. Right? But anyway, so guess what? How many trials has God brought you through? And now you look back and you go, Oh, now I get it, now I get it. Listen. Do you think that the trial you're going through today, right now, God said, Oh, didn't see that one coming? Well, last time I take a vacation from you. No, you know. He brought me through all this. Then whatever this one is today, he'll take care of me. Yes. That's the joy. In fact, let's be honest. How many right now today is a born-again Christian going through a trial of something? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, take heart. You're going to have one soon enough. Because they just keep coming and going, don't they? But here's the good news. It doesn't matter what you go through. James is saying, if you're a true born-again Christian, you won't just make it through. God will give you that supernatural ability to, by the fruit of the Spirit, to have joy. And then what really kicks it into gear is when you know, I can't lose. Listen, we we just went through a, a period of time when we opened up a bunch of gifts. And I know, you know, nobody was looking forward to opening those gifts. In fact, the more of those gifts entered into the house, the more depressed we got. If you bring in one more gift in here for me, you just gonna, I'm just going to lose my joy. Don't you dare bring another gift. I can't take it anymore. Oh. No. Because we know, we may not know what it is, but there's something what wonderful inside that gift. You see we get hung up on the packaging don't we in life? We we want it to be something else. Right? It's like the, the person who, 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 who gave me a gift and they wrapped it in this Checking wrapping paper. I had to look beyond the wrapping. I had to wash my hands after unwrapping. But sure enough, praise God, there was something decent in it. But see, that's what we do. God says, I'll work all things together for good. I won't just take care of your lion and your bear. I'll take care of your glass and whatever comes out after that. Hello, have a great day. And don't worry, you don't need to fake it. I'll produce it in you by my spirit. And again, it's not just for you. It's what? The law sees that and they go, oh. And when you're out there and you will be my witnesses, they're going like, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? We get hung up. The other thing that we do, I think as Christians, is instead of having our hands open, the Bible says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and just let it go. Have you been through seasons in life? High times, low times, whatever. Just keep your hands open. He knows what he's doing. Have a great day. But what happens is there's certain times in life we go, no. And you hold on to, to it. And then you know when the pain comes? You're supposed to leave it at the altar, but you, no, no. And the pain comes when God, no, he has to pry your fingers off. Oh, that hurts. And it would have been a whole lot simpler if you just, hey, the Lord gives, he takes away. And I may not understand this one. I don't know why he's taking that away, but I know it's something good. Something. Oh. I don't have to worry about it. I know he's going to do something good with it. And you maintain that positive attitude. Okay? And then then he goes on and he begins to tell us, so you don't have to wonder, oh, I wonder what that positive thing is. What in the world could be inside that gift with the chicken wrapper? I hope it, he he doesn't even leave for question. James now tells us what we can be excited over to keep that joy going, right? And this is what we see here in the next two verses James 1, now 3 through 4. Because, why can I maintain that joy? Because you know, gnosco experientially that the test in your faith develops. Here it is. What's the first gift from God? Perseverance, right? And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Well, that sounds fantastic. It is, right? How many of you guys want to be a mature Christian? Raise your hand. How many of you guys want to be a complete Christian? How many of you guys want to be a Christian who's fully equipped, lacking nothing, and God's using you in a mighty, mighty way? Anybody? I then turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Oh, yeah. Because that's how he's going to do it. That's what James is saying. This is what you get excited about. Listen, there's nothing worse than go through trials. Welcome to life. This is not heaven. It comes later. But God says, I'm so powerful, and I love you as my child. I'm going to take everything you go through in life, including your trials. I'm going to whip it around for good. Watch this. And the first thing he's going to build in you is something that you need to be that strong, mighty, complete Christian. And it's this thing called perseverance. By the way, how many of you guys ever Pray this prayer. Oh, Jesus, make me more like you. Oh, Jesus, make me into a strong, faithful Christian. Jesus, please make me a more powerful witness for lost souls. Well, how in the world do you think that happens? Right. Obviously, what you do is you take your Bible, and you put it on your pillow, and you go to sleep at night. And the spiritual osmosis leaches into your brain. You wake up the next day, ah, mighty strong Christian. I wish it worked that way. It doesn't. God works his word via his spirit through our lives Oftentimes through trials. Why? Because we don't always look and sound like Jesus, even as Christians, and so he needs to chip away. And the chipping is your trials. But he's chipping, like if you like somebody who's doing a sculpture, it starts out as a block. It's like, what are you doing with that? And you start hacking on it. You're going, like, I don't see nothing. But the more he hacks, the more it what? Resembles the end product. And the more God hacks on us through trials, the more we start to resemble Christ. That's a good thing. And one of the key words that's here, he doesn't just, I'm developing something good for your character, perseverance, which we'll get to in a second. But I'm convinced that a lot of Christians, they never get to that point because they jump ship. They run from their trials. James says, what was worth it? Let it finish. Perseverance has to finish. Let it cook all the way. How many guys had ham for the holidays? Wouldn't it be awesome if you only cooked it for like, I don't know, 10 minutes and took it out and served it? (laughs) Yeah, then you have to dish out money for copays to so all your guests. How many of you guys made desserts? Huh? You're afraid to raise your hand, aren't you? Okay, a couple of you, right? Can you imagine that you only made a cake, but you only made that cake, I don't know, left it in for it supposed to be 40 minutes, and now it's maybe 20 minutes. And, but I mean, the, the top looked good, but inside it was just this wonderful gooey. Ugh. No, you, when you bake something, if it's going to be good, You got to let it finish. Thank you. And that's what James says. You got to let the trial finish what it needs to produce. Perseverance. In fact, that's what really you get in the example of that word there. uh, Perseverance, right? Let's take a look at that word, right? Here's what he says here. It's hoopamone, in the Greek. And watch this. This is what you need to let the trial finish. Don't jump ship, right? Let it go. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. And here's what's going to come as a result. And this is why you can be so joyful. It's going to produce, listen, steadfastness, constancy, endurance. In fact, it goes on to say, he's building in you, perseverance means a characteristic of a person who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith in Christ and piety, even through the greatest trials and sufferings. Another man, adds, it doesn't matter what you go through in life, what this world throws at you, what the lost throws at you, what other people throw at you. I don't care what is there, even spiritual, demonic, torment. Nothing can deter you from Christ. How I many guys would say, I'd like to have that? It's called perseverance, hupo mane, like, like hyperdermic needle, which means to bear uh, under, like under the skin. It means to bear up under pressure over time. It's like the, the Greek uh, uh, guy, the Atlas guy. You know, kind of like, well, I'm trying to hide my guns with a jacket. You know, but he's... <laughs> He's got the world, right? And and what's he doing? Of course, it's Greek mythology. But he's holding the whole world, right? Year after year after year after year. And and that's the picture that's going on here. You bear up under pressure over time. And it doesn't matter how hard it seems, whatever, over time. You're not just going to make it. You're going to persevere. You're going to be constant. You won't quit. Nothing can distract you from your service and loyalty to Christ. That's what he's trying to build. This is what, so you don't, God, I wonder, what's in, that, what's in that package? I don't know. Okay, the packaging looks horrible. Ugh, chickens. Ugh. I don't know. He, you don't have to wonder. He says, listen, this is, this, here's one, just one of the great things I'm doing. I'm going to give you this perseverance thing so that now, before you get to heaven, I told you it's going to be rough, especially if you live for Jesus. Did the church have troubles? Remember, he, he's, he's writing to the early church? Yeah, for the next 300 years. They were being tortured, burned to the stake, fed to the lions. Some of them were crucified, lining the Romans' pathways, dipped in tar, lit on fires, human torches, and they're still singing praise to God. How does that happen? You can't do it. I can't do it. But the Spirit of God can. And then when the lost see that, they're going like, "Wow, this thing is real." God will give you that ability to bear up under. To keep going, and then you're going like, man, that's a cool character. God, that's a cool gift. Who cares what the packaging looks like? I, oh, really? You're going to do that for me? Yeah. And guess what? You start to smile, which means no matter what you go through in life as a Christian, if you would just yield to the Spirit of God and trust in God's sovereignty, you never lose. Isn't that awesome? You always come out on top. And I don't know about you, but that's awesome. Who wouldn't want to have that? Well, you get it from God. The perseverance, the steadfastness, the constancy, and you got it by going through various trials. No wonder you're smiling. No wonder you got constant joy. You got a power that just won't quit. In fact, then you start to say this. You know what? Have you lived long enough? You're going like, yeah, I saw that one coming. Yeah, I've been through that before. Yeah, I know, whatever. And it isn't just like I'm trying to top you with trials, but you're going like, Bring it on, man. I've been through this so many stinking times. I don't care what you throw at me. And you're not bragging. You're saying like what Paul did. This is the attitude. This is the perseverance character that every born again Christian can have. Watch this. I love this. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9. We are, Paul says, hard pressed on every side, but what? We're not crushed. Oh yeah, we get perplexed at times, but we're what? We're not in despair. Oh, we're going to get persecuted, all right, but we're what? We ain't abandoned. Hey, we may be struck down, but we are not destroyed. Whoa! Now that is a powerful Christian. I call that the spirit of Rocky, right? That God's trying to build into us, like the Apostle Paul there. You thought he had a bad life? We talked about this before. Paul went through all kinds of stuff, but he never quit. He fought the faith, uh, kept the faith. He fought the fight. He finished the race. But with a good attitude, people got saved all over the place from Paul. Look at what he was doing. He he was tortured and tormented. Remember he said, he was even in danger from false brothers. Even those fakers in the church were after him and he never quit. Spirit of Rocky, that movie, a lot of people like that movie, right? It was so inspirational, man. <laughs> guy, little, no, no guy. And if you know uh, St- Sylvester Stallone, in life, he's really a, kind of a short guy. And that's important for me to understand that, <laughs> to appreciate the analogy I'm about to give, but it was a dry year and they plucked me. But anyway, so, so anyway, so but why do people like, they go, man, that was awesome, that was incredible. Because what's the whole premise of the storyline? It's this guy a nobody special guy that nobody knows, a no-name guy, and he gets thrust into the arena and he gets pounded and he gets pounded and he gets pounded and he gets knocked down on that mat and there are how many different times do they go seven, eight, nine, and then he got back up again. No matter how much you pound that guy, he gets back up and he wins. And that's what God is saying, I'm going to give you in your trials. How can I have this joy? Because God's given you the ability to have that character. I don't care what you throw at me, world. I don't care what you throw at me, person. I don't care what you throw at me, Satan. I don't care what you throw at me. I'm going to get up and keep serving Christ. Nothing can deter me from that. Whoa, that's perseverance. That's the first gift that Paul says, you don't even have to wonder why I should be joyful about this. He's trying to give you that if you would let it finish its work. Amazing. Now, oftentimes, let me put it in the context and then we'll close. You're saying joy? In fact, literally hilarious laughter? What are you talking about? My house just burnt down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, what? What's that? I, I got in a wreck on the one church earth today. <laughs> What a gut-wrencher. I can't breathe. I got a cramp. I'm laughing so hard. Why? I went bankrupt. I I lost my job. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this. To have that joy that James is talking about doesn't mean we're going to be hilariously laughing about the trials we're experiencing. But it means we will have a deep-seated confidence that God knows what he's doing and that the results we are absolutely convinced experientially it's going to do something fantastic for me, including building this perseverance character. That's what he's talking about. That's why we're smiling. Now, oftentimes we don't believe this. Let me give you an example. You think your problems are bad? Try this one. But guess what? If you're a born-again Christian, God demonstrates he knows what he's doing, and you could still be smiling. And I'll do something fantastic as you'll be my witness in the world. His name is Dave, and he grew up in a loving, committed family in South Texas. And the last thing on his mind was going to war. But at the height of the Vietnam War, he received his draft notice, and soon he joined the Navy, and he served as a riverboat gunner in the elite brown water black berets. And all seemed fine until about eight months later, when Dave was literally changed forever, and he was on a patrol getting ready to throw a phosphorus grenade to burn away some brush near the banks, but it suddenly exploded next to his face. And Dave said, I had half my face and my right ear burned completely away. I had blood spurting from an open artery in my right hand, and I could actually see my heart beating in my chest. And to make matters worse, the phosphorus continued to burn so that when the medics put him on the stretcher, he burned right through it, fell on the ground, and hit his head. Then they wrap him up into a blanket soaked in river water. And finally loaded him on a helicopter, but they thought he was dead, so they didn't do anything to try to help him, which, quote, required Dave to, quote, take matters into his own hands. He said, quote, from under the blanket, I summoned all the strength I had left, and I yelled, medic! He said that got everyone's attention real fast. And soon he was in the burn unit of a hospital getting treatment for nearly two years, going through countless painful surgeries to repair or replace his skin. But one day early on in the hospital during these treatments, to make matters worse, Dave explains how he watched, listen, the wife of the man who lay in the bed next to him, who was also badly disfigured and dying, say this to her husband. And I quote, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. Look at you. And as David heard those bleak words, and watch this, he watched that w- woman set her wedding ring on her husband's bed and walk away. He knew nobody could love him after that, not especially not his own 19-year-old bride. So after seeing his completely disfigured face in the mirror, he finally saw what he looked like. He tried to pull the cord in an attempt to disconnect the IDs that were keeping him alive, and he says, laughing to an audience, but I pulled the wrong one. But the time came when his wife, 19-year-old Brenda, made it to the hospital to Dave, and he prepared himself for the worst, and but instead of leaving like the other woman did to her husband, she bent down and kissed what was left on Dave's hand and said, welcome home, Davey. And when she called him Davey, he said, I knew I wouldn't have to face the future alone. So today with a rock solid faith in God and a wife who stood by his side through the tough of his times, Dave learned that he has something more important than just a quote, pretty face. He's got a testimony, a powerful one, produced through a trial. And today with his listen, humorous style, he's enthusiastically received both nationally and internationally as a public speaker. He's involved in mission work around the globe, and his message is one of hope. And he does it by drawing on his experiences of what? Learn to be a better you, that loneliness, disfigurement, and pain, as well as Life's triumphs to weave a message of courage, commitment, survival that touches and transforms any and all who hear him. And it ends with this. If there's ever been anyone who has learned to turn lemons into lemonade, it's Dave. Why? Because the foundation of his hope, the source of his joy is his loyal faith in Jesus Christ. I I still don't think it's by chance. Nothing's by chance in God's word. What's the context? The very first book chronologically in the New Testament. Satan wants to mess up the church. He's defeated. He's going to the lake of fire. He couldn't stop Jesus going to the cross. He couldn't stop him from rising again from the grave. He couldn't stop the birth of the church, and he can't take away our salvation. And now we've been given the privilege of sharing the good news, the gospel, to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. So what's Satan do? He's still stinking evil. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna flood the church with false teachers, false apostles, false prophets, false brothers, fake Christians, so that if the lost come in their midst, they'll get a false impression of Christianity and a false gospel. And so here comes James. The church is finally out there within a couple years. He sends out not just this book, but a book full of acid tests to be able to spot these fakers in the midst. And the first one is this. Do you not just make it through trials, but do you make it through trials with joy? Why? Why? Because the lost is waiting to see that. Because you know what, folks? It's going to get worse before it gets better. We're living in the last days. It's going to get worse before it gets better. For us, we're on display. I didn't say it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But if you're a born-again Christian, God will use you by his spirit to produce this joy. And you'll have this deep-seated knowledge that I don't care what this world throws at me. Even our own nation, with the tyranny that's going on, I don't care. God will give me the ability by His Spirit to not just bear up under it and not quit, but to produce that fruit by His Spirit joy, so that I can be a witness to the lost, because that's why we're still here for lost souls to get saved. It's not by chance this is the first one. No way. And in fact, because the church is flooded with so much apostate teaching. And when I call this fluffy brain Christianity, brain candy, coated, learn to be a better you baloney. You tell a Christian, hey, you're going to go through trials. You're not going through a trial today. Be patient. You'll go through one soon enough. But hey, it's going to be hard, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it with joy. And instead of getting excited, they go, that's a foreign concept. Because of that, James just mentions one, perseverance. All over the Bible, you see a massive amount of fantastic reasons why God is allowing us to go through trials. But we're out of time, so we'll have to begin to deal with that. Next time, let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another 10 commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. God bless.